back with another episode of Talking is a Free Action. I am your host, Owen, joined again today with our illustrious co-host, Marvin. Hey, how's it going, bud? You know, it's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. I really can't complain too much. Well, I mean, you could. (laughs) Maybe. How about you, man? Uh, I'm alive. Fair, fair. I'm here. Doing it live, as one might say. (laughs) Yeah, one might say that. Um... So a fun little episode uh, lined up for everyone here today. No, uh, no, no sponsorships or anything yet, but uh, we would insert those here were they available. So, but maybe one day soon. Soon, TM. Soon, TM. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's. I gotta say, I definitely appreciate the new release schedule that we've been going with lately. Um, a little while back, we kind of moved to to every other week. We were gonna start splitting the editing duty. So that's definitely. Um, take a load off i would say cognitively um have you been adjusting that oh yeah um well it hasn't changed too much for me um i i edit once a week now or once a month now instead of never um but i imagine it is way easier on you uh going from editing four weeks a month to one week a month (laughs) <laughs> one might say that yeah <laughs> uh, a huge stress off for sure um, I know that we definitely did miss mm-hmm. uh, a week here or there uh, but I will say that overall I'm pretty happy with uh, the fact that I was able to make it through the majority of the year while releasing weekly episodes um, more mm-hmm. or less um, and I am really proud of that but I think that ultimately this release schedule is a little bit more sustainable um, given kind of where we're at oh yeah for sure um it's just it's a lot to try to record and release an episode every week yeah it definitely is um but you know what ultimately i think it is worth it right i mean these are conversations we would probably be having anyways so you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. may as well so may um, as well in other news um I did have a uh, Saturday session that went fairly well. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the uh, main players was unavailable, so we kind of had to audible to a slightly deviant or a slightly different plan than what was initially uh, teed up. But my my players overcompensated and basically spent the entire session in a library looking up world lore. So that was cool. Oh, <laughs> uh, that is fantastic. I love when players do that. Um just because like it's an easy session to run and it shows that they're uh invested in what's happening uh in the world yeah it definitely is really cool um and the other thing too that kind of happens as a consequence of that is you end up fleshing out things that you may not have thought about before or if you did think about it Mm -hmm. this is a great opportunity to share some of that information Mm Hmm. so um do you recall any like major lore instances in your own campaign where you kind of like made something up on the spot like that and you're just like well this is canon now gotta work with it honestly not really um i haven't i haven't had too many instances where i just had just threw stuff at the players um that i wasn't ready for which now that i think about it it might just be because my players don't ask interesting questions anymore. <laughs> really? 
is it that they like kind of have a good grip on what's going on and don't really um uh, it could be that it could just be that i'm doing such a good job of uh feeding them the lore as we go that they don't really have to question it right but uh in their, in their thoughts i guess but you know, I am less in favor of tooting my own horn than just assuming that they don't really care about what's happening around them. Yeah, I mean, it's especially like Alan. Alan doesn't care what the world is like. He just wants to kill stuff. <laughs> Simon's like that in my campaign. Um, oh, Simon! Like he does care, but uh, you know, he's also there to to crack heads and take names. So, borderline murder hobo <laughs> yeah yeah um, it was good though um so i got i did get to share some like pre-existing lore with the players that i had kind of developed during uh gg's backstory uh session zero mm -hmm. um but i also made up a few new things as well uh, a couple of new dragon names because the players like were researching demon lords um in the uh in the setting because mm -hmm. that's like a new bit of lore that like none of the characters are familiar with particularly dustin and nick who played the last campaign night there was an area amendment so mm -hmm. you know because the thing is like when you're playing in a new setting right that's one of the challenges is like how do i make the new setting interesting uh, without like over rewarding people who were in the previous one but you know maybe you know not making too large of a barrier of entry for the new players to the setting you know what i mean mm-hmm so yeah. the twist that I threw in there was uh, the addition of demon lords to the setting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go on. Tell us more. <laughs> so um so basically these are just like it's more of a title than like they're not literal demons, but more it's like a uh like a title slash power set, I guess. Um you know, it's like anime demon lords, okay. right? Anime demon lords are not necessarily demons, they're just demon lords. Um so Sure. So basically like there's <laughs> these characters who are you know, noteworthy in power and as such are awarded the title kind of informally or formally in some instances, I mm -hmm. guess. And they tend to stay out of global politics, but, you know, they do, you know, handle their own their own business, basically. And so since Simon's character used to work for one and in three days' time, the uh, head of the, the magician's party in my setting is supposed to be hosting a dinner uh, for them, uh, they're kind of like doing research and preparation for that at the moment. Um, as the uh, the demon lord coming to town is a is a you know is a vampire, and so they were looking up other ones, and I decided that there was a a red dragon, an ancient red dragon that uh that was a demon lord in history, and uh and thus led me down the rabbit hole of inventing new lore for my campaign, uh, <laughs> kind of uh, as to why this person's <laughs> important or appearing in a history book, because uh, I had established with um with Nick that he had some history with this demon lord right um in his past mm -hmm. so um so i was dming him on the side like some extra information about it but uh but dustin was the one who was doing the research so i got to to just throw up a little bit of extra extra information about it so new bits of information for my setting include dragons are functionally immortal <laughs> okay because uh, that's I, something yeah yeah well because like basically it was like oh this dragon was a was a uh like a key player in a in a uh, you know war amongst dragonkin that resulted in something like eighty percent of the population getting wiped out, right? Like a dragon civil war. Okay. And uh, you know, since I had previously established with Nick like weeks and weeks ago that he knew this demon lord, uh, the first time he asked if he knew if he knew anything about any other demon lord, 
Um, I was like, well, this is a problem because I just canonically stated that that was 7,000 years ago. So I was like, you know what? Fine. F it. Dragons cannot die by old age. They can be killed, but they, they have no known maximum lifespan. Okay. All right. That's, that's something. It just, it's this sounds cool. familiar. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> so, um, spoilers for a game that has been out long enough that it shouldn't matter that I'm spoiling it. Uh, in The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, uh, you find out that dragons are effectively immortal in that world, too. Ha! <laughs> that's funny. I didn't even play that game, but I came up with that, too. I... Oh, that's why it's funny. Um... Unfortunately, very <laughs> timely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so. Oh, no. Game. Now people are going to think you're ripping off Zelda. Well, I mean, they know I haven't played it, so I suppose. Um, Allegedly. I guess they'll never know. But, uh, but yeah, so I came <laughs> up with that to kind of justify a hole in the, in the timeline a little bit. <laughs> so. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, but I thought it was cool because, like, one of the things that I struggled with when I was um, working with this campaign setting, because um, it is my own campaign setting, but, like, it's also kind of like my first crack at making a campaign setting. And one of the things I struggled with is mm -hmm. like, how to make this a unique setting, you know, how to make this unique comparative to, like, any other generic fantasy setting. And I think this right. is, like, kind of, like, some of my first step. Like, fleshing out this country, like, Felgran here, is, like, my first real step towards making this place feel more than just like generic fantasy town you know what i mean right i mean some of the other like mm -hmm, cities mm -hmm. were like set pieces right like you have like port albatross and like the the city on the uh you know basically on a, a giant boardwalk that's extending out into sea right like yeah mm -hmm. that aspect of of the world building you have uh bramble branch with its you know large kind of like tree-like highways and uh you know and lizard mounts that uh that draw these carriages up and down it's it's tree trunks and like you know and it's like fashion district and like different areas that i've fleshed out here and there but this i think mm -hmm. is like maybe my biggest concerted effort to try and uh make the place not just feel like a another like underground dwarven city like i'm trying very hard to make the because politics are kind of in the main lens here i'm trying very hard to make it feel lived in in that in that respect and feel like as realized as i can make it look Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I definitely I definitely love when the world feels real. Even though we're all just playing make believe effectively, like when it feels like a place that people actually live, not just a place people could live, it definitely makes the game more immersive. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing, right? It's like sometimes you can just make that stuff up and you can run with it, you know. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, some of the stuff I came up with during like the the uh, session zero is um, so in the setting, Felgran is this like large like arid mountainous continent with um, you know, dwarven cities largely being underground, but the southern portion of the continent is like this like verdant and marshy you know wetlands basically, mm. and so. Mm -hmm. um, the bottom portion of this mm -hmm. continent belongs to Elswin, which is this like island, collection of island nations um, that is run by a series of fey courts, um, you know, as like their main governing entity, right? Mm -hmm. So like 
fake words, I think, kind of, like, conjures a uh, mental image of, like, like very complicated, like, pol- political systems and, and machinations and such, right? Yep, so, yep. Mm-hmm. But I'm content leaving it kind of just that vague place for now, right? Like, th- there are the fake courts of Elswin. That's that's what it is for now. Um, but there's okay. also this marshland that we've set up. And so in kind of doing this research, uh, one of the things I got to explain, because we've been dealing a lot with lizard folk in and around this, um, the city of Breda, which is where they're at, I got to kind of share some history of the lizard folk, which was maybe not directly pertinent to the story right now, but perhaps set some tones for why lizard folk may feel a certain way about the current government, right? So, and mm-hmm. one of the things that I outlined in the in the research session, which I, I thought was fun, um, was that their ancestral homeland, um, which uh, I, I, I came up with the name on the spot, but I developed the story, but I just hadn't named it yet. So we came up with the name mm-hmm. uh, Krashkaval, which is this... Uh, this their ancestral homeland essentially um was annexed by felgran uh you know a number of centuries ago in part to protect them from the fey courts of elswin who perhaps discriminated against them or you know otherwise saw the uh the marshlands as their you know birthright and didn't appreciate the lizard folk living in and around it right so this marshland was annexed by the, the dwarven kingdom at the time and uh, the Dwarven Kingdom had many wars, uh, one of which was with the Fae Courts of, El- of Elswin. And at the conclusion of that war, part of the uh, peace agreement was to cede the land, the um, the marshland, the Krashkaval homeland of the Lizard Folk, was to cede that uh, that land to Elswin as a part of the peace talks. And so there's still a number of Lizard Folk that live in and around the kingdom. They're native. They've you know been a part of the kingdom for hundreds of years at this point. But a lot of those people feel, you know, rightfully betrayed. I think, um, in some respects, by the, uh, by the, um, you know, by the royalty and by the government um, for allowing that sort of concession to happen in the first place. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, like, just like throwing little things like that into your story can go a really long way towards giving you, like kind of plot beats for later down the line or perhaps kind of ex- like kind of help justifying some actions that maybe like lizard folk would make in the future for instance so like you know mm. now i can use that as a as a thing that like maybe like some some number of lizard folk you know wish to you know win that place back or get independence from them or you know or reannex them back into the country or you know maybe have some deep seated distrust of the government because of that sort of thing yeah, you know, it just—it's a good kind of like kernel to help build personalities for other NPCs down the line. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's just gives people that don't necessarily exist yet a motivation before you even need one. Yeah, precisely. It's just kind of like, yeah, you know, it's just building out the world, right? And that's really what it comes down to when you're doing these, kind mm-hmm. of like, um, you know, lore dump sessions that occasionally come up here and there, right? Or when you have to make stuff up. And I'm a big fan of like making stuff up and kind of back justifying it later on uh not because all of it mm-hmm. come up but because like you know it might never come up right this might never come up but it may be information that like you know you don't know it might actually solve a problem that you might not even realize you have just yet and sometimes when it comes to just throwing a lot of threads out and looking for opportunities to tie them together neatly later on goes a really long way yeah, it's for sure good to just have some of those things sometimes. Um, and like, again, like you said, 
They may never come up, or you could make them come up. 100%. And so, like, for instance, just a little lore bit that, oh, hey, dragons don't technically die unless murdered. Um, that means that any dragon I ever mention in history ever could show back up one day. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So, like, for instance, like, I, I while they were doing their research, they looked up a few other dragons, and so, like, the other dragons that I had that come up um, were uh, Tormach, the Silver Death, whom was noted to be involved in mm -hmm. the court uprising in Eldsman a number of centuries ago. Uh, Dresnar the Acrid Knight, uh, the black dragon that uh, the uh, intrepid adventurers had fought against um, and had not been seen mm -hmm. since, you know, in the last 30 years or so. And then Helvar the Dread Poet, um, who is a uh, chronicler and historian of dragonkind. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's basically... With a sick the... name. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so... I was like, there's all sorts of, like, you no know, death and destruction and whatever, but, like, dragons never get called poets, right? Yeah, no, never. Literally never. I love... <laughs> but, like, he's the dread poet, so he's not just a poet, he's still dangerous. <laughs> yeah, 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 you have to make sure you include that bit in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but also is like the primary source for like basically history on dragons, um, you know. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I think that that's like a, you know, again, it's just like a fun little thing. But like, hey, maybe they run into Halvar later on, right? Or maybe they need to go find him. Maybe he hasn't been seen in a long time. Maybe he has something that the players need later on. Yeah, or information, right? Maybe they come across some something written in ancient dragon uh, that. Because that was another thing I did mention in the session, is that, like, there is, like, an older tongue of Draconic that, like, basically only dragons can read. So, like, maybe they mm -hmm. come across something like that later on, and they need to, like, seek out someone who can read this stuff. You know, you never know. Mm-hmm. And maybe the players will tie it in themselves. Maybe they won't... Maybe you won't uh, have a specific thing for this in mind later, but maybe the players will be like... Wait, wasn't there that one poetry dragon? Maybe he could help us. Yeah, no, and that happens sometimes when you're playing D&D, right? You know, all the time, players mm -hmm. mention, like, hey, remember NPC X, Y, or Z? Oh, yeah, I remember NPC X, Y, or Z. Oh, and I wonder what happened to them. You know, they actually have a skill set that's strangely helpful in this situation. Uh, where do you think they are? And, like, as a DM, you're like, shit, who is that again? Shit, 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 shit. <laughs> every time every time just where did i put that where were they even from yeah you just like i don't even remember what their voice was like i i got nothing <laughs> so it's just like that oh i've had countless npcs that have had multiple voices because i didn't know what they were <laughs> yeah i actually started writing notes for myself uh, funnily enough, when it comes to, like, voices mm -hmm. and character personality traits and things like that, just so I could try and keep it consistent, right? Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, like, even, like, simple stuff, right? Like, uh, like, uh, Goodwin, uh, Goodwin Terryman is a, uh, is the, uh, cook for Revelor Jorah in my campaign, um, being, Jorah mm -hmm. being the, uh, the head of the magician's party, right? Um, basically, he got uh, okay. Finkleton's job, because Finkleton worked for Jorah for a short time. And so, basically, at the end of the session, I had him approach Finkleton uh, for assistance in developing the menu, because Finkleton has has cooked for not only 
uh, Rebel Lord Jorah, but also cooked for the the Demon Lord um, as well. So um, the Demon Ooh, spicy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like they were seeking assistance with developing a menu uh, menu items that might please them, and like you know that seemed like a, actually like a pretty good like actually this makes a lot of sense for someone to do. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so like during the during that interaction like one of the things i wrote down initially was not just the physical description right but i also wrote down like is a is like <laughs> is a hugger right and like i just kept going with it so like they hugged on greeting they hugged as a thank you they hugged as a goodbye and like it's great because finkelton is not a hugger that's beautiful. It's like, oh, this is happening. Okay. All right. Yep. Uh, thank you. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's happening. Everybody, get to your places. <laughs> so, I think that's a really helpful tip, though, for like new DMs. If you're able to take any notes during the game, which like strongly recommend that you do, um, when you're oh, yeah. developing NPCs, like little notes for like voice, uh, personality traits, uh, anything that you can note to remind yourself how to play that character. <laughs> goes a long way towards like improving your uh, consistency when it comes to that because it's not realistic to expect to remember every npc your players interact with unless you're playing like a super tight game where you're only working with a handful of npcs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so or or you can be like me and have unrealistic expectations for yourself every time you run a game that seems less healthy but i guess is also a valid option um, for those who, who wish to to challenge themselves, <laughs> challenge is a very good word for that. <laughs> uh, um, so there was that, and so you know, for that reason, I'm like pretty thrilled with the way that the session went because it means that we can still kind of jump back on later on. Um, the one thing I will mention as kind of like a fun, like you know, didn't plan to end the session there, but it worked out really well is uh, one of the players mm-hmm. deciphered a, uh, a note that they had picked up from um, basically from the, the handler for the assassins, because two of my players were assassins. Mm-hmm. And uh, they finally deciphered the note, and the note basically says, like, the initial uh, mark failed, uh, secondary attempts will be made, uh, but more payment will be required. And, like, the player deciphered this, I want to say, maybe like an hour into the session, right? And, like, mm-hmm. three hours later, towards the end of it, they're like, wait a minute, did I just read that they were going to make another attempt on one of our party members' lives? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, we haven't heard from them in like five hours, have we? And I was like, no. And they're like, we gotta go there now. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, wait, hold on. This is happening still. <laughs> Yeah, it was good. Because it, it happened to be the player that was out that day, right? So I had, like, written them out of the story at the beginning of the session, and this is going to be a very nice segue into, like, I could probably, like, just start the next session with a combat encounter, basically. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. And it makes the story feel very, like, flow. Like, it makes it feel like it's flowing very naturally, right? Mm-hmm. That player is not just missing the session because they're not there. They're also missing the session because their character might be dying. Yeah, yeah. Although they do have a uh, an amulet of health now, so their capacity to die quickly is definitely uh, significantly reduced. Well, that's good. That means you don't have to worry too much about whether or not they will actually die until you get there. Yeah, because before when they started level 1 and they had 16 HP... Oof. Actually, no, they had less than that. On the high end. 
No, they had actually way less than that because they had 16 HP at level 3. Oh, Lord. Yeah, they're like level three. We started at level two or three or something, but um, uh-huh. they had a negative one modifier and they're playing Warlock. So like that should tell you everything you need to know. And we were rolling for dice, rolling for HP rather, and they didn't roll great. <laughs> this is beautiful. Yeah. yeah that's cool. just that's just how you die. Yeah, and they nearly did in the first session. It was great. Oh. Uh... So in other news, oh. I did um, manage to catch a uh, an episode from the uh, overly sarcastic productions, um, like podcast, I guess, on YouTube. Um, they do a normal like channel or whatever, but they're one of their latest episodes. They did on um, like basically non five e systems uh, for TTRPGs. Uh huh. And I haven't finished watching the video yet. I'm sorry, but um, the first one that they did go over was like legitimately intriguing to the point where like I think I kind of want to run it. I'm listening. So the name of the system is called Lancer. Okay. And it is a mech RPG. Ooh, spicy. Like Gundam-esque, from what I understand. Uh, the player handbook. You know is how I feel about giant robots. They are uh, chicks dig giant robots. Um, so the, that's the, a reference that none of our audience will get. They will if they're in a certain age bracket. Uh, mainly the uh, even then age group (laughs) but um, but uh, yeah so the core handbook is free from what I understand Um, the player handbook or the uh, DM handbook which is required because it has like you know uh, NPCs and stuff um, is does cost some money but the core book is is uh, free for download right and basically it runs like a system where like you know you're character rpg stuff like our rpg stuff is like out of the mech and then the fights are largely in the mech mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i believe there is like me- mechanisms for fighting outside the mech as well but um one of the core like features of it is that like the mechs all have like four hp like four health bars basically and uh like as okay. each health bars are depleted there's like an opportunity for your mech to sustain like permanent or semi-permanent damage Ooh, which like just sounds badass because like come on every freaking like an- mech anime or whatever that's what they do like you can't kill the characters but like the mechs get shredded in those shows oh yeah and like 80 percent of the time it's either like for for like the bigger battles at least it's either irreparable or they have to give it like whole new loadouts yeah so like this just definitely seemed like the kind of thing that I was like man i really kind of want to like go through this so like my next big project is going to be reading through the lancer rpg like player handbook and like if it seems good which like initial impression seems like pretty sweet like i kind of want to run a one shot with this and see how it goes i love this i will absolutely play in this i'm gonna download the book (laughs) i mean if you want to gm it i'm down (laughs) but uh i mean sure so that'd be fun um ooh, maybe we should do like a show that could be cool first live play lancer one shot Ooh, i don't dislike this idea we'll workshop it um you know <laughs> we'll see how it goes 
but for sure, like it seemed like a, a really cool system and, and something I did want to kind of shout out uh, on the show here because mm-hmm. like, it, it seemed really sweet. This sounds amazing, and I cannot wait to try this out. Yeah, because like I remember like a little while back, someone was talking about like playing like a Power Rangers RPG, and like that's cool and all, but like this sounds way cooler. <laughs> okay, hold on, cooler, cooler than being a Power Ranger? I don't know about that. I do. For me, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with I don't know about that one, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I haven't watched Power Rangers since like the original run, right through Turbo. Which, like, oh, you didn't even watch the last truly good season? Which one was that? Space. I did not watch in space. That was the ending. Yeah, but like I didn't watch it, so I had moved on. I had moved on from Power Rangers. You're not even a real person. I mean, I'm not a Power Rangers fan, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> not a real person. I didn't ask a question. I made a statement. <laughs> well, statements are just questions, but for pretentious people. That's not how that works. Uh, it is on Jeopardy. What? <laughs> Prove me wrong. Statements are questions in Jeopardy. I hate it here. <laughs> it's like some fucking Riddler shit. Oh. Oh, man. Just not the same without Alex Trebek, man. <laughs> That's true. Big facts. Kevin Jennings is doing his Rip best, Alex. but he's just not as charismatic. Yeah. I don't know when we transitioned into a game show critique show, but here we are. <laughs> I mean, we trans we transfer into something different basically every episode now. Yeah. At this point, I think we're just using uh, TTRPGs as an excuse to talk about everything else we like. I mean, they kind of influence everything else we like, right? Uh, I think it's the opposite. Everything else we like influences our D and D. It's cyclical. It's like yin and yang, man. Um, speaking of yin and yang, oh my roommates want me to run the Avatar RPG for them. Oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't realize so, they had like an official one. Oh yeah, um, they just shipped the core rulebook. From their Kickstarter month before last, I think. Interesting. Um, I've had it since it since they shipped it out, basically, because I got it three days after I got the shipping announcement. Um, and my roommates are just like, "We would, we want to play this game," and I'm just, "You find me time to run it." I mean, I guess we could take a, a month off or whatever of the, of the recording <laughs> nights, and then you could do it then. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> then um, I'd have to have them all be home on a Wednesday, and uh, that sounds like a lot of work. Oh, what you do is you just run it in a thread. <laughs> just run it in a forum post, and then they can just respond as able to. Uh, that feels like a mistake when we all live in the same house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 
it is perhaps extreme. One might describe that. Extreme is one word for it. But you gotta do what you gotta do, man. Like, it's either that or no TTRPG at all. Um, I'm surprisingly okay with that. So have you had a chance to flip through the uh, the Avatar rulebook? Not even a little bit. Let's see. Do you know if it's even a D20 system or not? Um, I'm pretty sure it's a D20 system. Interesting. If I remember right. Okay. All right. Uh, so your your chances of running this system are like what, like eighty twenty, fifty fifty. D20 systems are, are my preference, even though I don't really like running D&D itself. Uh, so it's, it's more like 99-1. It's just when am I going to do it? Right, so it's a matter of when, not if. Yeah, pretty much. I see. So is it kind of a... Um, I'm assuming no one's the Avatar, right? So, I'm guessing. So somebody it's... can be the avatar. There are rules for that. They specifically mentioned it in the Kickstarter that you can have somebody be the avatar. Oh, okay, that's interesting. I don't know how that works yet, but they made a point. You can be the avatar. Interesting. I think that's a really interesting party dynamic, right? Where like someone is mm -hmm. the main character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, I suppose that's a, an opportunity for an interesting story where maybe the Avatar is not the main character and supporting cast instead. I kind of... So they announced a lot of Avatar-like stuff, animation projects. I'm really hoping that in one of them, that's the case. Yeah, I... You know, I was just having this conversation with Fitz before we started mm -hmm. um, about this. And one of the things that, like, he was echoing in our conversation that I kind of agree with is that it's really important that for these new Avatar projects that they're not just rehashing the same story over and over, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay with them checking in on Aang and the gang, right? That's fine. And that's all fine and good. But, like, I want it to be, like, a meaningful story at the end of the day. So as long as there are good stories to be told in this universe, I'm more than happy to continue to give Brian and Mike my money. Yeah, for sure. Um... I'm I'm a huge fan of doing new things, but we can't just expect them not to give us what everyone in the community has been asking for basically since Last Airbender ended, right? Yeah, which is more with these characters, basically. Yeah. Like, people want grown-up gang. Yeah. Which, like, I kind of don't think they do. <laughs> like, this might be controversial, a controversial take, right? But I kind of feel like people say they want this, but I don't think they actually do. Um, it's very possible. I think people want... I think people want to want it. So they say they want it. It's just one of those things where it's like, I don't think... Like, Given the characterization that we got in Korra, I don't think that a story with the gang as, you know, older teenagers is actually going to be all that, I don't want to say all that interesting, but, like, it's going to be really difficult to develop a story where, like, 
where that's the case, right? Where it's still interesting and they're actually still doing interesting things with their characters. And mm-hmm. granted, like, yeah, Sokka kind of got the uh, the shaft for, for getting killed off screen. Uh, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for, for Avatar and Korra. But um, the others, like a lot of them, we kind of found out where they end up already. So depending on the band of time that you select, like it could, it might not be all that interesting of a story, I suppose, because a lot of those characters, character development is largely done, um, mm-hmm. or at least some of the main ones, anyways. Um. So I really like. I really think there's a lot they can do with them, just because they've done a lot in the comics with them, mm-hmm. and. Even after seeing how they all end up in Legend of Korra, seeing how they get there through the comics, and I I know they're not done with them yet, but seeing like the progression of how they start leaning into becoming the people they grow into is actually really cool. I see. Yeah. I mean, I'm willing to give it a shot, right? And, like, it's kind of funny that, like, you know, I say this, right? Like, oh, I kind of want to see stories about, like, stuff that isn't directly. And, like, even though I haven't really supported anything Star Wars-wise in that vein, I do think some of their best work is the stuff that isn't about the main, like, Star Wars stories. You know, it's the side stuff that I think is is most interesting and compelling. Um, yeah, that's super fair. Um... But like maybe I'm a hypocrite because I haven't felt compelled to watch any of that stuff because it's not mainline Star Wars. But then again, I didn't watch Episode Nine, so like, uh, you know, maybe it's just that Star Wars has been ruined for me, and really that's why I haven't felt compelled to watch any of it anymore. I mean, that's very possible. Um, but I don't know. I think Star Wars is in a weird spot. Because, like, my favorite Star Wars things are, like, Clone Wars, which is about Anakin Skywalker. Like, ultimately, even though it's an anthology show, like, if you take it from beginning to end, the story is really Anakin, Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, and everybody else is kind of just there, right? And we get some cool stories with characters that don't see a lot of screen time in the movies, like Kit Fisto and... Um, like the entire planet Mandalore and even like randos like Kiadi Mundi that people don't know the name of unless they're super invested in Star Wars already yeah um, yeah those kinds of characters but like those aren't the characters that I'm watching the show for I'm ultimately watching Clone Wars for Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka. Yeah, well, I also think in that show they have a really strong, like, core dynamic as well. Right? So that definitely helps, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But, like, then I watch something like like Rise of Skywalker, and I'm like, why does this movie exist? Outside of the one cool scene and I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil it here. Uh, the cool scene is that Emperor Palpatine does giant force lightning at a bunch of starships. It's super cool. It's literally the only part of the entire movie that like I wanted to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. 
and it's 30 seconds of the movie, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the writing in episode 9 was pretty weak, too. It's just like, somehow, the Emperor returned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's I'd... like, really, guys? Like, you couldn't you couldn't work a little harder on that one? Like, it, it felt no. like you were... It, it felt... When I was, like, watching reviews of this of this movie that I have not seen, right? And, like, this factored into why I didn't really want to watch it, right? But, like, it felt like I was hearing about, a like, a first draft of a script, you know? Yeah, it definitely, like... It was not the vibe. I'm gonna put it that way. It wasn't the vibe. Yeah. And, like, I'm gonna be honest. Like, even in D&D, I try not to give my players the first draft. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I, I even workshop the ideas that I plan on, on doing with my players, like, way more than what I feel like Skywalker got. And that's saying something, I think, because I'm largely by the seat of my pants. Yeah, but, like, you and I have talked actively about campaigns you're running before you hit story, major story beats, at least. Um, oh, yeah, almost all the time. Like, we have actively talked about, you know, when the tower was going to fall in Intrepid Adventures. Yeah. Um, like, more than once. Yeah, the, the Planeswalker plot twist, right? Like, that whole story beat, right? The mm -hmm. jumping story adventure. We talked about years in advance, right, of that of that event coming to pass. Literally, like... I want to say you were maybe five or six sessions in before the first time you brought it up, and you were like, yeah, I don't think we're going to get to this for, like, a year, two years, but I really want this to happen. Yeah. Well, because, like, the whole premise of that, of that campaign was, like, I want to run an isekai, but, like, mm -hmm. then you realize that, like, isekais only work if the players care about where they came from, and if I can't yeah. have them care about the real world, like, I need to get them to know the old one. So... That's why we spent so much time in in Dega, basically. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I don't know. I think you put way more forethought into these than you give yourself credit for sometimes. <laughs> well, I think it's, like, a different quality in preparation, right? I think, like, in my head, I tend to classify, like, pen to paper as preparation. But, like, mm -hmm. if you start to include the amount of time that I spend actively thinking about a campaign, I spend a lot of time thinking about it, clearly. Um, you know, and I spent a lot of time trying to like make sure that like the justifications work, um, and that mm -hmm. there's an explanation for why things are the way they are. And granted, like not every DM needs to do that. In fact, I don't even think that's necessarily healthy. But I think that it is a good, um, it is a good practice to get into if you want to DM because it gives you the ability to start to um, adjust on the fly by just remembering or knowing information about the world. And having that on command and on on ready to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And like, wait a minute. Does that mean I prepare for all of my campaigns way more than I give myself credit for? I thought that's where we were going. Well, listen. These are the things you don't realize about yourself until somebody actually says it out loud. And sometimes the person who says it is you. <laughs> wait, hold on. Do I pre do I prepare things? That's, yes, yes, you do, right? We both do, realistically speaking. That's the real secret, right? That's my secret, Cap. We always prepare things. We just don't write it down. Yeah. I don't like this anymore. It was more interesting when I didn't plan. <laughs> it's a different quality of planning, right? 
It was more interesting when I didn't plan, and I'm sticking to it. Well, you can go do that thing. Which thing? What happened? Where am I? Uh, you are... Narshada. <laughs> you are on Narshada. How's about that? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks. Oh, um, in other news, uh, so I know you've still been uh, playing Tears of the Kingdom. Are you still streaming? Uh, yes, technically. Um, I took three weeks off when I was sick, and then I, uh, for for some personal reasons, I took off last week. So it's been two weeks since my last stream, as of the time of this recording. Um. But I am still streaming. That is a thing that is still happening. And uh, this Thursday, um, not that any of our listeners will be listening to this while it's still relevant, I'm going to be playing Pokemon Unite with some friends. Because uh, apparently 70% of my audience would rather watch me play Pokemon League of Legends than watch me play Legend of Zelda. says about your audience uh i'm gonna say that they're problematic maybe they're just tired of tears of the kingdom because everybody else has been streaming it for the last month um i'm gonna say they're problematic fair i recently started playing a new game um, as well one that a mutual friend of ours has been trying to get me to play for over a year um, oh no you're playing disco elysium i am <laughs> Great guess. How did I know? Because <laughs> it's our same mutual friend that's probably been trying to get you to play it as well. If I take a snap. Yeah. Yeah. It has been good. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. I believe you. Um, honestly, it looks like, good. It, it is good. It's actually like pretty well written. I mean, I say actually as though like that was some some contention. Um, it is a well written game. Uh, it is uh, has interesting game mechanics, and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, I'm currently trying to play through as a, uh, as like a uh, empathetic marksman, like pacifist marksman. Okay. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully not terribly. <laughs> we'll see. I almost died to a chair, so that was interesting. What? Yeah, yeah. So like my build has like no health. <laughs> I have like one hit point, basically. And oh, I I use my first my first level up to increase my skill points in endurance to give me two health points. And uh -huh. during a conversation with a character, uh, you have to sit in a uncomfortable chair, and the chair is so uncomfortable that after a couple moments in this conversation, you suffer a point of damage. And so, had I not used my first level up for the endurance skill, literally minutes before I stepped into this room into this conversation, I would have died from the chair. That's actually kind of insane. <laughs> oh man. Um. So so yeah, that's been good. The reason I mentioned the game though, um, is not just because I've been enjoying it, but because I also find that it's a really interesting way to, like, also kind of you know crip some ideas for like potential RPG stuff later down the line. Uh, mm -hmm. Not with like the specific plot beats and stuff, but with the way that some of these characters are written, it gives you it gives me at least some ideas on like, you know, ways that I can kind of start to 
to utilize other characters in my own campaigns. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's a lot of words to say, basically, that you should, you should play other games, you should expose yourself to other media, because that, that experience is always going to be really helpful um, you know, for your own stuff. For sure. Um, and, like, if you need any kind of, like, evidence of that, listen to any other episode we've ever recorded. We talk about all the things that influence our games all the time. In fact, go ahead and listen to all of them. You should you should listen to all of our episodes. Yeah, actually, um, if you if you somehow found us and not listened to the backlog, listen to our backlog, please. Uh, please comments online, say nice things about us, uh, or say mean things about us. We'll take either one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I prefer the former to the latter. My self esteem uh... can't take too much negative commentary, but uh... <laughs> what a person. We'll be fine. Um, I want to circle back a little bit, though. Um, I know you had mentioned that the uh, the Avatar Timplot game existed, right? Yeah. You had mentioned mm-hmm. there were some rules for the Avatar, though you haven't read them just yet. Yep. Um, obviously, we do have a situation where, like, you know, the Avatar is kind of like the de facto main character in a lot of those situations, and that we could run a, a campaign where they're a side character in that <laughs> in that experience, right? Maybe they are the Avatar, but they've not, like, mastered all of the elements or something. They're two in, and they're, they're stuck in bossing say on a side plot. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're running that kind of campaign, like I have to imagine, it's a little bit difficult to not make the avatar or like one of the other characters like the main character, right? Because um, normally, like when you're running like D and D, like everybody's the main character, so everybody's plot will factor in. But when you have a character as centralizing as the avatar in the avatar universe, like the story almost definitionally is often about them and their experience and their you know, struggle to master the the elements, right? Even though, like, a lot of the avatars statistically probably had very peaceful times um, as the avatar, right? And just got to do their thing. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. I've played in a lot of games where one person feels like the main character anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's bad? Not necessarily. Um, currently, in the Star Wars game I'm playing in, uh, the running joke is that my character is the main character. Um, and my character is kind of the leader. Um, despite being the youngest, barely, um, member of the party, he's kind of, he's got like a wisdom beyond his years that isn't necessarily there with everyone else. Um, and, like, for sure that there's instances where other people, like, definitely take the spotlight. But, like, last session I, I showed up a couple minutes late and just Alex straight up went, Oh, look, the main character's here! Because um, it, kind, it kind of feels like there is more for me going on than for a lot of the other characters. So you'd say that, like, maybe it just comes down to execution, right? Yeah. Because, like, people don't have to feel bad that they're the main character when somebody is the main character. I think it's just the way the main character is handled and whether or not everybody still gets to have their, their shine. Well, I guess it's like everybody needs to be like a meaningful contributor, right? Yeah. 
for sure. Um, and they they are absolutely. The rest of the party contributes a lot because I'm just the leader. The leader doesn't, you know, have the entire skill set. Well, yeah, that's why you need the Lancer and the, the Heart and, you know, all the other members of the five-man band. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's kind of, like, what it is, what it really boils down to, right? It's, like, you can run story segments and even overarching stories that are largely about, like, one particular player character. But I think that – I think I've kind of come down a little bit on trying to be, like, you're the main character of the overarching story in an effort to try and tie more of more characters story elements to a single point right mm -hmm. because like i kind of did that with intrepid where nick's character largely became like the main character throughout the entire second half of the campaign effectively um due mm -hmm. to his direct relation with the main primary antagonist and one of the things that i didn't really like is that the rest of the cast felt like supporting characters in a lot of ways which like i think everybody was fine with more or less uh but I think in some instances more than others, it really did hurt, I think, the, the storytelling. Uh, you know, because, like, should Nick not show up, like, what do I do, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's a fine balance, you know? Yeah, and, like, contrasting that with, with like, the way that I'm running the, the Pirates campaign that you, Alan, and Julian play in, where, you know, we are, what, seven sessions in right something like that something like that We're like seven sessions in and everybody in the party has a direct reason for why they need to fight the main antagonist and it's personal for every one of you yeah it's just and and for for me at least it's just hey this thing it told you to do it and that's all my character needed it's just that skip and whose line is it anyway right <laughs> where it's like What's the fastest way to start a fight? Hey, you want to fight? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, what's the fastest way to fight the, to want to fight the antagonist? <laughs> a day hey, goes, fight the antagonist. Yeah, day he comes down. Hey, fight the antagonist. Um, but like, what I'm getting at though, like more than more than those things, more than that joke. Yeah. Is the the difference in the way that the story is told, I think, makes it such that all of your characters have very all of you, like you, Alan, Julian, all of your characters have like different story beats that are going on, but your presence in the narrative is just as important, equally important, I would say, as every other person in the narrative, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whereas I think when you look at Intrepid, um, the last campaign that I completed, everybody's presence was important, right? Everybody contributed in the final fight, for instance, or in the, the situation leading up to but if the other character, like, if I were to rewrite that campaign, I could definitely write out some of those player characters. And, like, the story would not meaningfully change. And I think that is maybe a sign of going a little bit too far the other way. Where it was maybe a little bit too much about Nick's character. To the detriment, I think, of other characters' impacts. Because realistically speaking, the majority of the other characters, like, that whole scene could be easily written such that only Nick's character was present. And narratively, it would make it would be just as impactful, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, um, I think it is not even that the characters could be written out that could potentially make that situation feel bad. It's that the characters that were there could be theoretically replaced by any character 
that might make that feel bad. Because, like, Gris himself didn't need to be there, except that I was playing Gris. Right? Literally anyone with magic could have been subbed in for Gris, and theoretically, the fight would have gone similarly. Yeah, like, I mean, discounting the, the narrative purpose for your character to be there, right? Or the narrative, like, we need your, your, your magical expertise and, like, you know these people more than other people know these people, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's just that it is very easy to sub Gris out for any other wizard. Is that just a concession that we have to make, though, when we're DMing anyway? Occasionally. Like, like, but like, like, you know, sometimes like, sometimes the players don't have very good motivation, right? And that's okay too. They're, they're, like, not every player character needs to be like directly motivated in, I think. But I think that like the overarching story, I think, is maybe something that I, I wish I had found a better way to tie everyone back to the main antagonist, such that everybody had a reason to be in that fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. It could just be that like characters are always interchangeable, I guess. I don't know. Cuz again, theoretically, um Viz probably could theoretically be subbed out for anybody with the uh the deep patron that I have, but like then my character choice actually is relevant to why that character is there. Whereas an Intrepid, is it Wizard didn't need to be there. Um... Well, here's the thing, right? Is like mm -hmm. in the beginning, I would agree. Is it like is it Wizard could have very easily been Orzhov, you know, tax mage, right? Which like yeah, can't believe that's a thing. Um, <laughs> like it very easily could have been tax Wizard, and like you know, functionally, like, the story doesn't change all that much, right? But where it does uh -huh. start to change is in the aftermath of the, of, like, the the devastation of Dega and, and getting it locked away. Like, your character was eminently important in that story arc immediately afterwards because, like, you know, for what it's worth, like, your character was, like, the landing pad for everybody else um, as they kind of, like, you know, came to grips with. And I do think your character was very important in the the narrative purposes for the um for like the tournament arc right and putting together the actual fate of Diego, which like, that did, for sure like straight up i don't think the characters get that information without gris specifically being there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um in fact they probably don't even get off of coming to Dower without gris so like your character definitely did matter to the plot in in those particular senses so i think that like when we zoom out a little bit more it makes more like it's a little bit better and maybe yeah. that's just the way that i need to look at the campaigns to feel a little bit better about it when i think about it to myself is like maybe not everybody is relevant every single time but everybody was relevant sometime yeah i did matter sometimes i was just talking more you know specific. the specific plot beats that we were discussing you know yeah yeah and like even like with Viz, right, for your for the pirate campaign we're playing, like that character, like, yeah, in principle could have been anybody that the that the patron chose, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm looking for opportunities to help make it 
more specific as to like why your character was chosen or things like that. Like those are the kind of things that I'm thinking about right now. Um, like even during this conversation or is like ways that I can make that particular connection to that patron not feel like it was random happenstance, but feel like mm -hmm. this is something that was meant for games or that they should take personal interest in beyond right. just the the like immediate immediacy of the problem, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I also don't need those things. Well, Marvin <laughs> doesn't, but like Owen feels better as a DM when those things exist. Because I think that like that'll lead you to make more interesting decisions in the campaign, right? Especially if your if your desires somehow work against what some of the players want. Like everybody wants the same thing in principle, but perhaps the exact method of of doing it is different enough that not everybody can get what they want. Um, yeah, for sure. Especially if like Especially with Julian's character, um, Fisk. Yes. Because, like, the way his patron said it to him that, like, the rest of us didn't hear in character, but we most certainly heard out of character. The way his patron said it was that he is the one who has to beat uh, Jones, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it could come out that Alan's patron is like, no, no. You have to beat Jones. Yeah. And that's the other thing too, right? Like, God, I'm I'm so excited for our next session. Like, can it be <laughs> July already? Um I hope so. Jeez. So because obviously that's gonna be a fantastic fight that I have to I have to plan for and everything. But mm -hmm. the thing is is that like I really love how active he was in, in our last game. And I'm looking for more opportunities to get all of you guys to do stuff like that. Mm -hmm, and so, mm -hmm. like, when I'm writing campaigns now, like, when I'm doing, like, my politics one, I kind of keep finding myself in a similar beat where it's like, well, shit, I need to tie everybody else back in somehow because right now it's just the Gigi show. And if she doesn't show up to a session, I kind of have to – I had to do a lore dump episode, uh, which is fine. But, like, it really kind of shows that, like, if Gigi can't come to the campaign anymore, like, this campaign whole thing has to jump off rails and do something totally different. Whereas ideally, if one of the main players in your campaign stops coming, the rest of the players still have a means or a reason to continue with what you were already doing. So you don't need yep. to do as drastic of a rewrite when it inevitably happens. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, I will say that Intrepid towards, I don't know, maybe eight sessions into me being in the game, um... It definitely felt like there was still a reason for us to be doing what we were doing without Nick. Mm -hmm. So, like, for sure you succeeded in that game. Even if Nick was the the main character, um, it still felt like all of our characters had good and valid reasons to be on the adventure without him. If he was to not be there anymore. Yeah, like hypothetically, right? Like Nick dies in the the traveling to the uh to to Raka, right? Mm -hmm. Like Nick dies on the way <laughs> and doesn't get revived because you guys figure you can take care of it afterwards, um. Which like you know would would be very uh. That would be very intrepid adventures of us. It would be, uh, <laughs> and just just petty enough. 
so like you guys decide to like i think you guys still have to march on march on charles right like yeah the confrontation is different but like you guys definitely have to do it i mean even before like the actual lead up right let's say he died and stayed dead for whatever reason we couldn't get a diamond or something um oh, oh i know he died on um if he died when he died on uh or when you almost died i think on wait no he did die on uh on exandria didn't he um, no, that was you. That was you that died. I died on Alexandria. Yeah, so if he dies in Alexandria and can't be resurrected. I'm talking even before that. Like we're we're in the multiverse, right? We let's say we just left Kamigawa or we just left Dominaria. Um and we're on Esper. If we if he dies there and for whatever reason can't come back. I think at that point we all still have reasons to be there. He's the main character, but it's our adventure. And even Gris wasn't going to just stop there, right? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, with like with the threat, present threat to Ravnica, I don't think your character could have let that lay down. Yeah, like... It felt like he was the main character, but we were all doing this for our own personal reasons, and without him, we still had those reasons, you know? Mm -hmm. And the adventure still carries on in the same vein, even if it has to be different. Yeah, like, narratively, of course, it'll be a bit different. Whereas what you're describing right now with Gigi, like, as of this second it sounds like the campaign just kind of can't really go on without Gigi right now in the same direction, at least. Yeah, it would have to be um, really different. So, like, and, you know, sometimes that's okay. I definitely, I definitely don't hate when there's a main character, but it's it's one of those things where you have to, there, there's a careful balance, right? And I've said it like eight times in this episode already, and I'll say it again. Like you have to you have to know how much of the emphasis to put on the main character. If you have one. Mm -hmm. And that's not something you can really like teach, it just kinda happens. Yeah. I, I think it's like man, I don't even know if like main character is like the best way to even think about it, right? It's not, but it's the easiest way to think about it. Because it's almost like a, um, it's like a giant spotlight, like, moves on the on the party, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, sometimes that spotlight is, like, pretty wide and catches everybody in it, but occasionally different characters are in the shadow and are only partially standing in the light, and it's focused on just one person, or it narrows and focuses in on one person. And I think that when you, when you run D&D or when you run other tabletops, as a DM, it could be very easy to fall into the habit of having a very narrow focus and just pushing it from one person to the next person to the next person, like some sort of shell game. And I think that when it comes to like good, good GMing, good DMing, one of the better ways to do it, I think, is to look for as many opportunities as you can to catch as many of the other players in the spotlight during your story beats as you can. Um, not to say that we want to avoid having like individual moments, because I think those are very important. But when it comes to like motivation, um, I think trying to catch as many of them as uh, collateral damage is is one of the better ways to go about doing it, because again, like it's 
sometimes the stories don't hit right like sometimes mm-hmm. you're writing a story beat and it it doesn't resonate with the player for one reason but if more players are involved you have an opportunity to at least get some of them invested and i think that one of the risks that you run is that if you focus too heavily on one person you may disinvest other people who otherwise would be great assets to your game mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah for sure um and like i think your spotlight analogy is is kind of spot on um because it's also very easy to never move the spotlight once you find a good spotlight focus um it's something that i fell into the habit of a lot in a lot of my early campaigns um that i thankfully stopped doing once I realized I was doing it, but I definitely was giving certain characters or certain players more attention in the story and more reason to be there than others. Yeah, I think that, like, one of the things you run into, right? Because, like, I think that's an easy trap to fall into when you're when you're newer. And mm-hmm. I think what ends up happening is it's kind of like why the face ends up getting a lot of, like, face time. Right, is like sometimes you have a party that's very lopsided with someone who's like very, uh, you know, charismatic or is very comfortable playing, like engaging in the role play, mm-hmm. and then you have other players who are newer, more timid, uh, you know, shy, whatever it may be, and they don't engage with the role play as much. And the thing is that when you don't pay attention to how much time you're giving everybody, it can be very easy for those shyer players to fall to the wayside, or for the I guess for the the player who's playing the face to kind of not on purpose, but maybe crowd out the other people where it's like, and I'm sure everyone's you've seen this, right? Where it's like, you're, you're running a role play and it's like, you can't engage with anybody one-on-one without one of the players jumping in and inserting themselves into the conversation or into the scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've definitely had that happen. Yeah, and, like, that's a skill that you ha- have to learn as a player, right? Is like, sometimes you just need to let the scene breathe. And I've definitely run campaigns where it's, like, you know, I'm trying to run a moment, and, like, the other character's like, oh, well, I'm actually just right there. Or I, I walk over, like, while two players are trying to talk to themselves or-, or something along those lines. And it's, like, you know. Especially if they're, like, purposefully having a private conversation um because i've definitely seen a lot of that especially in newer play groups um back in the old days of heroes and villains um i had the privilege of playing with a brand new group like everyone had never played before the dm it was his first campaign and they just wanted to try it right mm-hmm. um and there was there was one player in that group who was just every time anybody was doing anything wanted to be part of that thing um and like i get you're you're there to play the game and if you're not participating in a scene you're technically not playing the game um but not every scene is for you as a player um and sometimes other people will end up playing the game without you for a very short period of time when there's reason for it, right? Yeah, 
absolutely. It's one of those things where it's like not everybody can be can uh, can win best actor, right? Not everybody can win best actress, right? There's a reason that we have awards for best supporting actor and best supporting actress, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, as a as a player, sometimes you need to like relegate yourself temporarily to that supporting role and understand mm-hmm. that like not every story beat is going to be about you. As long as some of the story beats are about you, I don't think it's a problem. Now, if you're playing a game and you feel like your dungeon master is never focusing in on you or your or your plot beats or something, I think that's something that's worth discussing with your with your DM. Like, hey, I kind of feel like my character is irrelevant or, you know, or that I don't really get an opportunity to engage in the role play. Uh, things like it that. often feels like I am not meaningfully contributing to this group, even though I would definitely like to try to be. Uh, is there something I can do to make this work better for me, or what's going on here? I mean, I think the dialogue is important. One thing I will say mm-hmm. is that, like, I don't necessarily agree that, like, asking what you can do is always, like, I don't necessarily think that's always the player's responsibility there, right? Because, like, I I know that, like, in the past I've seen DMs say, like, oh, well, you never you never try and jump in to the conversation, right? Like, they, they put the blame on the player, for not being mm-hmm, active mm-hmm. in the role play, when the reality is that the DM is not facilitating that kind of game in the first place. So I don't think it's really helpful to like jump in and assume that like I don't think it's necessarily helpful advice to just start with the position of like what can I do to improve it, because I think that like that just needs to be a conversation with like your observations of the game and maybe how you feel during the game, because the DM may not be able like may not be cognizant of what's going on necessarily. And especially if they have someone who is like actively trying to push themselves into every conversation, it can be really tough for you to kind of explain that because like sometimes it's their good friend, right? Like, hey man, every time we play, you always want to favor Marvin, and you know we don't get a chance to play, and it's like, well, Marvin's my boy. Like, what am I gonna do? <laughs> so, uh, well, you know. the answer to that question is, I'm supposed to be your boy too. That's why I'm playing this game with you. Well, sometimes you don't know them like that, right? Like, sometimes you're playing with people you don't know that way. So... I don't know. I've never had that experience. Well, I have, right? Like, I am... I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, ostensibly, I'm friends with everybody in my current campaign, right? But I'm not as close with everybody. Uh, Yeah, that's fair. Right. So, you know, if, like... You know, like Nick's girlfriend comes to me and is like has concerns about the campaign. Like, I have to take those seriously, even though I know her way less than anybody else at the table. Yeah, right. Um, and, and so it's just one of those things where it's like every everybody's conversation about that problem is going to be a little bit different based on the context of what's actually happening in the game, because I think that that problem manifests in a bunch of different ways. And there isn't really like a catch-all solution. I think that sometimes it is that, right? Like sometimes as a player, you can modify your behavior a little bit to perhaps uh, engage differently or to like be aware of opportunities to engage. But I think sometimes too, you just need to tell the DM, like, look, I need you to stop and give us an opportunity to talk, you know, or if you are a DM and someone comes to you and you're not really sure what to do, like maybe just make sure that like periodically throughout the session, you do stop and say like, hey, you know, Marvin, what do you do? You know, so, you know, and I, I do, I exercise that strategy a lot where like, if I find myself spending too much time with a particular scene, I'll say, okay, well, while you guys are doing that, 
Marvin, uh, what are you doing during this time? I burned down the library. Great. Okay. How do you do it? Uh, I throw a fireball at the closest bookshelf. Okay, great. So, uh, Dustin, Nick, as you guys are going through there and researching the books, you see Gris off to the side and is currently casting an arcane sigil. Uh, give me an arcana check, Nick. Great, you pass. You recognize it as the fireball sigil. What do you do? Right? <laughs> it's like, you know, that's just like making sure that everyone is involved in the in the little roleplay vignette, right? Um, yeah. Whereas, like, it would be very easy to just, like, you know, skill check me, skill check me, skill check me. Great, okay, here's the information you get. Here's what you notice. Here's what you do. And it's like, before you know it, they've gone through all the books in the library. They've found a secret passage. They've opened the secret passages. They've gone down. They've talked to the ferryman. They've given them a coin. They've traveled across the river to the other side. They've traveled down the secret maze to the, like, and before you know it, you're, like, you know, knocking on the door to Beowulf's cottage, and half your party hasn't spoken in the last 45 minutes. Yeah... Yeah. Uh, that is one thing um, that I actively try to try to watch. Um, if the party isn't all together, or they're not all actively participating in the the quote unquote main thing, I will go. Okay, this thing happened. Uh, now I'm going to pay attention to this person. So, like, for instance, you, Julian, Allen, right? Let's say that is the, the party. Um, and Julian and Allen are trying to rob a bank, and you're at the library doing research. I'll go, okay, Julian, Allen, what do you do? Uh, we're going to try to follow the bank manager home. Okay, cool. Uh, roll me a stealth check, see what happens. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm not going to tell you if you pass, but you know, something is happening. You're you're definitely following them. And then, um, as you pull up to their house, they you know they unlock the door. Owen, uh, at the library, mm -hmm. um, you see Julian and Alan walking past you, um, or walking past the the front doors of the library. Um, as you look up from this home about demons um and uh in the tome it is saying something along the lines of um the demons will um i'm not good at making up these things rise these specific the parts sunday of the month yeah that the demons will rise on the fifth sunday under a, a full moon and um to to defeat them you'll need you know Three hairs from a hag and weapons blessed by the celestial convergence. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um and as you read that passage, you hear a commotion outside of your friends walking past the front door of the library, not very quietly. What do you do? Uh yeah, alright. Uh so I quickly uh close the book, stash it in my bag, and I'll uh, go to the uh, window and check out and see if I can see what they're doing. Uh, from where you are, it looks like they're following someone, and they're not being very quiet about it. Um, roll me, uh, well, no, you'll, you'll recognize them. This is the, uh, the bank manager from the bank down the, down the street. Okay, uh, do I have an idea on where they're going? 
Um, they're definitely going to a residential neighborhood. Um, you do know that this city is large, so they might be going past it to another mercantile district or something, uh, but they're going away from the bank. Okay, all right. Cool. So what I'll do is I'll quickly uh, run to the second story of the library. I'll mm -hmm. uh, see if I can open one of the windows there, and I'll see if I can use my grappling hook to uh, to jump onto the roof of one of the nearby buildings so I can tail them from, from above. Cool, 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 cool. Um, roll me, um, let's roll an attack attack roll uh, with that grappling hook to see if you hook onto the building over there. All right. Uh, uh, 14. All right. <laughs> Cool, good enough. You hit the building. Uh, your grappling hook latches on, and you give it a quick tug, and it seems secure. Um, so you swing across, and uh, coming back to Julian and Alan, uh, guys, um, as you're tailing this bank manager, um, you see Owen just grappling across this gap between the library and the closest building. Um, <laughs> and then, bam, and like, <laughs> you got your scene. And, like, that is something that I actively try to do, and it is one action per, you know, split group. And sometimes that split group is, you know, two and one. But they are taking actions as a group, basically. Um, and, you know, nobody gets too much time spent on them. Everybody gets something happening. Yeah, and I think that's really what it boils down to, right, is just making sure that everybody feels like they have an opportunity to contribute. Even if they mm -hmm. choose to opt out of it, at least at that point, it's their choice. Yeah, you're you're giving them the option to do something. Because if you had said, um, okay, I'll just ignore it and go back to my book, at least you had the opportunity to do something. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so I think that's a really good uh, spot to kind of um, close up today. So, uh, any any closing thoughts uh, beyond that? Um. Nope, I got nothing. My brain is fried. Fair enough. All right, everyone. Well, uh, thank you again so much for, for listening to us. Uh, again, you can always catch new episodes every other week now uh, on your major podcast players. Uh, in the near-ish future, we will be uh, putting new episodes again on YouTube, although we'll probably not start filling in the backlog right away. We will uh, probably be starting with uh, one of the more contemporary episodes, so maybe by the time this is up, you'll be able to catch it. Um, otherwise, you can always follow us on Twitter. We are at TIAFA Podcast. You can catch me at Vlad Weaver. Marvin is at Taigetsu. Uh, so, without further ado, uh, please be sure to uh, check back in with your other players. Uh, and. Have a good one, everybody.